My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tamil Creator. I'm your host, Era. Today, I'm with Myron Yogaraja, and uh, I forgot how we connected. It was definitely random. I think I reached out to him like via LinkedIn or social media. He's currently the head of IX Labs and Distinguished Engineer. I need to ask you about that title at Index Change. Um, he's really seen the company evolve since he started working there 18 years ago as a second employee and the longest standing engineer. And he's helped build up the engineering team from, the, from its inception to an organization over 170 people. Um, I'm super fascinated about your story, Marian, but before we kind of jump into it, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, your upbringing, and we'll kind of kick it off like there from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I grew up in Mississauga. We, uh, I think we came in, we're immigrants, so we came around late 80s, I think. Um, you know, I came, didn't know English. I still remember going to school. My dad had written a note that said, I think it had the school's name on it. And I went on the school bus and I gave it to the driver and he kind of chuckled. Um, yeah, I came, I think I was in grade four, grade five, something like that. Uh, and then I went to UFT, I did comp sci. Um, and I actually was in the process of finishing my, uh, my undergrad and I took a summer job. So I was taking summer jobs at the time just to get some money and you know have some spending money for, for some uh, weekends and stuff like that. So uh, I went for a run. I, I, I applied. I went for a run. I came back and my mom said, hey, these people called about an interview. Um, and, you know, back in those days, this was in 2003, uh, I didn't have a cell phone and we didn't have apps like, you know, Waze or Google Maps. So and I actually I am, you know, I'm very bad with directions. I don't have a great sense of direction. So. My father took me the day before the interview and he said, you know, this is how you get there. Cause I'm in Mississauga. We went up to North York, 401 and Dufferin. And then the day of the interview, I actually got lost. <laughs> and um, it was, uh, and you know, I'm thinking like, you know, my parents are going to be upset. I, you know, this is not a good situation. So I pulled over and I went to a phone booth and I called them and I said, Hey, uh, I got lost. So I don't think I'm going to go. Uh, and they said, well, you know, you, you went all that way. Why don't you just go see what happened? So I, I ended up, I was like an hour late. So I showed up, told them what happened. Uh, they were very cool about it. And they said, okay, you know, come have a seat. And when I got in the room uh, for the interview, there's another fellow in the room already, another gentleman. And I thought, okay, this must be the next candidate. So then I asked him, um, are you here for the same job? Um, and he kind of chuckled and said, no, I kind of know the, the CEO. And he turned out to be Andrew Casale, who's now the CEO and president of the company. And he's, uh, he was 17 at the time when we started. Um, yeah, I started off, uh, I was their second hire. They hired me on the spot. You know, they asked me a bunch of, they, they gave me a take-home test. And then I wrote some code on a whiteboard and they liked it. They, uh, they hired me on the spot. And I said, you know, I got to check with my dad first. I need, I got to figure out how to get here. You know, I got lost on the way. They were like, no, no, it's fine. You know, you'll be, you'll be okay. And then, uh, yeah, I started like maybe two weeks after that. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, I still have, I'm still like 1.0 credits short from UFT. So that was a big point of contention with my folks. Um, you know how our, our, our parents are. Uh, but I think over time they, they saw that it was, you know, it was, it was turning into a big career, it was turning into a big thing, and, and they were more understanding. Um, I started off as uh, just a normal developer, you know, I still remember going, it was 
you know, there was nothing written yet. It was, we, we were, it was a blank slate. They had an idea, a lot of stuff on paper. Um, and there was no code base, no Bugzilla or anything like that. And uh, yeah, so I, I got in like very early, you know, ground level. And uh, the first, one of the first things I learned was NTP, which is the network time protocol. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, this is something I never heard about in school. You know, I learned about rsync and things like that. One of the crazy things to me is uh, at that time, there was no AWS or Azure or anything like that. So, you know, we, we had our own, we were always building in like a horizontally sharded way. We always designed around that. So it would always be horizontally scalable. Uh, and we actually wrote our own web server. So we, we were not using Apache. We wrote our own custom web server, which implemented the HTTP protocol, which is insane when you think about it now. Um, but that was just kind of the mindset that we had. We were, you know, we were going to do it. We were going to do it on our own terms. We were going to build it ourselves. Um, we almost wrote a replication engine for MySQL. And then someone said, um, oh, MySQL has built-in replication. And I remember tinkering with it, trying to get circular repl replication working. And, you know, that, that didn't work out so well. But yeah, that was kind of the early days. It was like maybe four or five of us sitting around a very small room, you know, a lot of pizza, a lot of books, a lot of pop and, you know, Gatorade and, and Red Bull and things like that. Those are the early days. I have very fond memories of that. We shortly after got, actually when we launched, it was over the weekend and they said, hey, can you can you come over the weekend so we can launch late at night? And uh, I remember uh, Andrew, the, the CEO, he was doing a tail dash F on a bunch of logs and you know we saw like the first couple of requests trickle in. And then we went outside and we uh, we had a cigar and we, and we drank some champagne and we called it a called it a night a couple hours after. And then um, like about a week later, we said, okay, what's, you know, let's do version two now. <laughs> and that lasted many months. And then uh, it just kept going on from there. We built uh, version two of the network. And then we built uh, uh, an optimization engine called Optimax, which was kind of, which was like, it was a big ordeal at the time because it was, it was starting to use things like Hadoop, which was very, which, very early stages. Like these days, big data, everyone uses Hadoop. They're onto you know new versions of, of MapReduce and things like that, but at the time that was very bleeding edge. Um, then we brought in like Hive and Presto and all those things. Um, and somewhere in somewhere during that process, we pivoted from uh, being a media network to an ad exchange, um, and the company just it just blew up. You know, we went from handful of people now we're 500 plus. It'll probably be 600 something by the end of the year, and we've got maybe 13, 14 offices. We've got an office in. Paris, um, London, Italy, Germany. We've got data centers all over the world. We've got our own private data centers that we build and operate. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a big operation. I, I got to grow with the company. I was, uh, I became senior vice president of engineering. I ran, took over all the tech for many years. Um, and now I'm running uh, the investment arm, which is IX Labs. Great kind of intro. So I want to kind of break down a few things. First things first is when I saw your title, what the hell is a distinguished engineer? Can you describe, can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, uh, distinguished engineer is, it's an industry term and it's something you give to, it, it's like a, it's a title of respect, right? You give to someone who's contributed a lot, who's done a lot yeah. for the company. And if you look at Microsoft and Google and Amazon, they all have distinguished engineers um, that are in the company that have been around a long time and, and have made major contributions to the company. So it's just it, the title is reflective of my contribution to index and uh, they originally wanted to use entrepreneur in residence or something like that. I was like, no, no, like this is the proper engineering title. It should be distinguished engineer. So I just went with that. Got it. And then number two is 
like I love hearing that kind of story because you know number one I, like I think I told you when we first talked someone working at the same company for 18 years especially in the tech like on the tech side unheard of these days most people change jobs every two three years you did it for 18 years number two I keep forgetting just 18 years ago we didn't have things like google maps and like all these things that you know maybe like people just younger than us take for granted which is crazy as you're telling that story I was like yeah how would I get to an interview from like Scarborough to like downtown like I'd probably like have to like write it down by paper or like I don't know it'd be crazy so that's pretty cool but again you were the second hire so I think you're like the third person in the company and you've seen it go from that like you know like I've been part of startups where like you know like we're in a room you know we're trying to make ourselves look bigger than we are but then you were one of the few like in percentage wise to kind of go from this you know small two three person setup into like now multinational like you know who knows multi-million maybe billion who knows like worth of like dollars and like value at index exchange so it must have been like crazy for you to kind of see that change or like when you reflect back is it like mind-boggling or is it just you just kind of been in the grind for so long that you don't even notice well when it was happening it was you're in the ground and I was very you know, I was sort of detached at the time just because there's so much going on and there's never a time to really think and reflect. But now, nowadays I do that. I, I think it's just, as I got older, I started to kind of think back and, you know, appreciate those things. One of the, ni- one of the nice things now, I was, uh, I was doing something with the mirror guys. We were doing a video shoot and I, and I had, I had this moment of reflection. I was like, wow, we brought people from New York. They came here from our team to set up and, you know, do all this work. And I was thinking, like it was not even like seven, eight years ago, I was doing, we didn't have a marketing di- division. We didn't have a marketing department. We didn't have a legal department. We didn't have HR. I was doing, you know, I was the one doing the interviews. I was ordering food for people. I was booking events for people. It was crazy. Like I was moving boxes, uh, you know, I was moving water <laughs> for in, in the building and, uh, you know, to, to have come this far, it, it's just such a great privilege to watch and see um, all these groups of people that are now here to, in a, you know, to support us, uh, help and grow. And yeah, it's great. I, uh, these days I, I, I do try and reflect on things like that, but back then it was just, it was too hectic and I, I never really had that ability. So like what made you stay at the company for 18 years? Cause like I said, it's super unusual. Yeah, I think, I think I bought into, um, you know, I, I really believe in the vision for what we're doing, you know, our, our CEO, is very big on transparency. Like he was a publisher himself uh, prior to starting the company. And he decided very early on that, you know, it would be a very transparent marketplace that, you know, he's gonna create. Like he was really intent on making a dent and we've come very far. And I've always believed in what we were doing and the tech, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that we've got platforms that are processing, you know, hundreds of billions of requests a day where I used to tell people it's over 100 billion requests a day. Now it's well over 200 billion requests a day. And it, you know, to have built something that scales horizontally, you know, that's not in the cloud. That's something that we built. Um, I think it's, you know, it's very cool tech. It's interesting work. The, um, the mission is interesting. I, th- I think that, you know, advertising is something that's always going to be around. And it's, it's something that, you know, people want transparency and they want to see where the media dollars are going. Um, and I, I like the people that I work with. I think that, you know, most people, they say most people don't leave the company. They, they leave their boss. And um, I feel fortunate that, you know, I've had a boss who's, you know, I have a direct connection to the boss as a CEO and, you know, we're also friends and, 
you know, I, I can, I can get behind his vision and, and uh, he, more importantly, he gets behind my vision, right? Like when we were talking about, we were iterating on, you know, what is labs? Um, like I should, I should lead up. Like at some point in 2019, the, the reason we created labs was, you know, we had a moment and we said, you know, as a company, we've, we're, we're fortunate to have come this far and what do we want to do next? Like what's next for, for index. And he actually wanted to, he wanted to make another product or service and he was a big fan of uh, Fortnite. So he thought, well, you know, if you have any ideas for a video game, we can put some budget behind it. We'll build it. Maybe we'll get a following and try to transact on that, you know, microtransactions or something like that. Um, but I actually ended up taking it the VC route after talking to some friends and, and peers because they said, you know, you've already done, you know, the, the building a product and building a service. You've already done all that, but this is something you've never tried and it'll give, it'll give you a chance to see the other side of the fence. Um, so I went to him and, and he, he loved it. You know, he's like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, if you want to, if you want to use some capital to try and grow it, grow it, that's great. Um, so yeah, he, he's behind my vision for labs as well. And I, and I appreciate that. And I have a vision for labs to grow it into something that's fairly large. When I first announced it, I used the analogy of Amazon, which started with selling books and music and now they've got their hands in so many places. Um, and I see over time that labs is going to add more and more companies and our portfolio will slowly grow into many different verticals. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that mission through and I'm, I'm excited to be the person that's spearheading that. Before you go into more details around like exactly what you do day to day as head of IX labs, we forgot to kind of talk about index exchange in terms of what does the company do? Just to give a quick breakdown for people listening. This episode is sponsored by Nobody. That's right, nobody. So if you could be kind enough to hit that subscribe button, that would mean a lot to me. Yeah, so Index Exchange is a global independent um, ad exchange. Uh, so we're privately funded, we're completely bootstrapped, we have no outside investors, and we're basically like the stock exchange, but for ads. Uh, most, of the, most of the web runs on ads. So unless you've got like a subscription model where you're paying a monthly fee to access content, you're monetizing the site through advertisements and they're using platforms like us to place the ad. So the request will go from your browser to the publisher server. So let's say it's businessinsider.com or something like that. Their server will come to us and say, Hey, we need X number of ads. Here's some metadata. And we've got pre-integrated buyers that are, you know, probably in the excess of 200. Now, some of them are fairly large, like, Yahoo, Google, Trade Desk, et cetera. And we send, them, we send them the request and we say, you've got 200 milliseconds, come back with an ad and a price. And when the auction is closed, we send the ads back to the site, goes back to the user's browser. The whole thing renders in about 250 milliseconds. So it's a very high, high throughput, low latency application because we're dealing in milliseconds and it's very large volumes. We're talking like hundreds of billions of transactions a day. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what the company does now. We were originally a media network, which means we didn't have you know, we had, we had advertisers and marketers who were setting those parameters and we ran it solely on our audiences and our own optimization engine. So we didn't have the ability to go outside and elicit campaigns from external sources. And that's, that changed when, when uh, real-time bidding came around. That was probably around 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. So just to kind of recap, how, how an ad appears on your browser is you could go on a website and then your the browser makes a request to, you know, whoever the publication is, and then they reach out to your um, product or I guess your server running in the background, and it does all that kind of real time work of kind of which ad to place, how much it's going to cost, etc. Once that's kind of figured out, 
it sends it all back through the chain until the user sees whatever the ad is supposed to be based on your algorithm or your process, correct? Yeah, at a very high level without getting yes. into details. Yeah, <laughs> That's, yeah. Before, we don't want to get into too much technical, but like at a high level, I've always been like interested in kind of learning about that. So, I mean, this is kind of technical as well, but why did you guys decide to build everything kind of in-house and it seems like locally host versus, you know, um, being cloud-based? Well, I mean, at the time, there was no cloud. You have to remember, this is in 2003. There was no notion of spinning up a server on AWS or anything like that. Uh, and also, even now, I think if we were to do it, we probably wouldn't change it. We'd probably keep it on-prem just because it gives us the ability to completely control all of, our, all of our own infrastructure. We don't like the idea that we're using someone else's infrastructure and that it can go up and down. Um, you know, AWS outages still happen, right? If you If you Google... You can Google for AWS outages and you'll see last year, there was a bunch of outages. Um, at least some of them are AWS outages. So yeah, we're, we're, very, we're very big on being able to control our own infrastructure. And we don't like the idea that our data is passing through someone else's platform. Um, one, of our, you know, one of the big things we have is that we say we're independently owned and we're, independent, we're all operating independently. So we're not going through anyone else's pipes who are also potentially in the ad tech space. Got it. And so you mentioned kind of, yeah, you, you started off as an engineer and now you've kind of, you know, you're taking on this kind of moonshot. It's not really a moonshot, but like, you know, something totally different from kind of what you started off in outside of your comfort zone. So you're the head of IX Labs. And, you know, I think you mentioned, I think I saw a public announcement around investing in a company recently, Miro Technologies. Um, I, I'm guessing that's kind of the first of many, but what are some challenges you've kind of seen in this role? And like you said, you're trying to, your vision is trying to be almost like an Amazon-ish company where you started off doing ad exchange uh, and now you want to kind of go elsewhere how does that fit in that vision i guess i'm trying to understand how that connects to index exchange or is it kind of like um uh, you're trying to future proof the company in a way by kind of adding these other businesses it's kind of a diversification diversification play for us um bias labs is specifically not working on anything ad tech related just because we have the whole company on ad tech so Andrew said, yeah, you can do you can do the VC route, but focus on anything but ad tech. So I, I zoned in on uh, fintech, health tech, and IoT slash hard tech. And uh, that's where Miro falls into. They're an IoT company. Um, they're a great, uh, they're a great company. I, I, uh, I'm very fond of the, of the founders. I met them doing office hours uh, with BMG last year. Um, and, you know, he left a great impression on me and we reconnected early this year and, you know, we were lucky enough to be able to co-lead with Fresco, who's based out of San Francisco. It was, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, you know, very rewarding, I would say after about a year and a half of trying to get, get things off the ground, you know, you asked what were, what are some of the challenges we kind of went from, okay, labs is, a, is the investment arm to me wondering what happens next, right? <laughs> Cause I'm not following a playbook. I'm, I'm creating, like we're creating this from scratch. We didn't have anyone that's, that's experienced doing it. So I'm learning on the job and figuring things out from scratch. Um, we had initially formed partnerships with um, some of the big incubators here. So like DMZ and Mars. And we had said to them, you know, we want to meet some of your startups. So they were introducing us to startups, but obviously that's not scalable, right? Because you want to be able to meet startups directly and have that direct deal flow. So uh, we were branching out. Uh, our, as we learned more and more, we slowly branched out to other places and we established those connections. And what does that mean? That means, you know, you get referrals from people you meet. I used to go to, you know, tech TO events and stuff like that and, and you know, say, 
and but someone would be like, oh, I know this person that's here. And I'd say, oh, can you do an intro? Um, or I would cold email people. <laughs> you know, that's that's something that's very unusual for an engineer to do. But that's something I had to get used to just cold, cold emailing and being like, hey, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about, about our investment arm and see if there's any see if there's a fit. Um, but yeah, we uh, we had to flesh out what our investment thesis was. We had to flesh out due diligence was like a huge thing for us to you know, that's a huge process for us to go through. Um, and there was just a lot to learn, right? Like as an engineer, I wasn't exposed to things like cap tables and data rooms and, and, you know, the terms and things like that. And luckily we were fortunate that we have staff that were able to help. Like we've got a legal team now that's pretty versed in that and the finance team. So they were able to help, they were able to help with some of that stuff. But, um, I'd say just establishing that presence and getting that deal flow was a huge ordeal and a major first step for us. Got it. So it's, it seems really interesting. It seems like you're you almost kind of get to be, I, I don't know if it's the appropriate term, but I think of entrepreneur where like you get to almost have entrepreneurial aspirations or kind of, you know, um, things going on like a spark within like a larger company. Um, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get like to kind of play out those entrepreneurial like aspirations while having the backing of like, you know, a large company that you were started off at from right from the beginning. So like, I guess, where do you like see the labs in like the next five years, like how many companies do you want to be investing in or like what is the exact vision or goal? Yeah, I think we're more, we're going to be more about, you know, depth versus breadth. I think we're going to, we're going to invest in not a lot of companies every year. So it'll be a handful, but those companies that we do invest in, I'd like to see us lead or co-lead and then I'll join the board of directors. For instance, I'm on the board for Miro. Um, and I like, and I like, I like working with them. They'll come to me, you know, we talk all the time. They'll come to me with questions. And a lot of the times the, the things that they're dealing with are things I've already dealt with, right? Like they're asking, how do we switch from this to this in terms of like our culture? And I'll, I'll, I'm able to give them these scenarios and say, well, if you do this, this is the outcome. You should do it like this. It's, it's very nuanced things that, you know, a couple of years ago when I was doing it, I didn't realize it would, it would solidify into this great experience. But now I look back and I, and I realize. This is, this is amazing. You know, I, I, I lived through this on a pretty large scale and I'm, a, I'm able to share and help others do this now. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to see labs in maybe, you know, five years from now with, you know, at least 10, maybe 15 portfolio companies and a couple of exits with uh, any luck. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to take some of that, some of those proceeds and, um, you know, maybe start a larger fund, put it back in. Um, I'm seeing some pretty cool stuff. Uh, I forgot what the name is, but Alexis Ohanian from Reddit, he's got a fund. I think it's called 662 or something like that. And they're, they're doing some pretty, pretty interesting stuff. He's got 1% of the fund that's for helping for like, you know, mental wellness and um, time off for the founders and things like that. Cause they're usually grinding and they don't, they don't get any time off and, you know, they don't feel like it's okay to take time off. So you know, those are those are kinds of those are forward thinking ideas that I, I'd love to see labs embrace at some point. And I think it'll also differentiate us in a, in a very positive way. It's a great segue into my next question, because, you know, you've been at this for 18 years and building, helping to build index exchange, especially on the tech side from, you know, two or three person company into what it is now definitely wasn't easy. So obviously you've had great success professionally. But did you find that it came at any cost personally or were you one of the lucky few to kind of figure that out really well? My friend was telling me this. He's, he's also my colleague. He was my VP. He was my VP of engineering. He said, you know, you're only going to do one thing really well. 
And he says this is like this for a lot of people. You know, it's either going to be work or relationship or something like that. So for me, it was work. And what that meant was I didn't have much of a, of a personal life. I, I worked all the time. I was, you know, I'd wake up looking at my phone. It was the first thing I did. Um, I, you know, before I went to bed, I was looking at my phone, answering emails. It was just, there was just no unplugging. Um, you know, is, is it, was it like a major sacrifice? I, I think depending on how you look at it, you don't get time back. So in that sense, yes, but I'm, you know, I, I don't know if we could have survived had I not done, you know, some of those things. So it's, it's kind of a give and take, uh, but I definitely missed out on a bunch of stuff. Like I still haven't traveled a lot of places. I've only been to a handful of places and, you know, most of my, most of my time went into working, which meant that I didn't really do much else. <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely didn't have that work-life balance. Would there be something kind of looking back at your journey? I mean, obviously I believe that you're, you are where you're supposed to be, but just like a learning for yourself. Like if you were to go back, is there anything, one thing that you would change, um, you know, on your path to kind of where you are today? Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a lot of things I would change. Um, I would, I would, I think first and foremost, I would, I would try to be more present. I think that that was a major problem that I had. I had developed this incredible ability to have a conversation with somebody, but I'd be like millions of miles away. I could, I wouldn't even be thinking about what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And because I'm always thinking about what's next, I'm thinking of like, if I'm in a meeting with somebody, I'm thinking about what's in my next meeting. And then it just kind of spiraled. Um, but you lose that present moment, which, which, which isn't great. So I think that's something that I would really want to work and focus on. Cause I feel like I've missed out on a lot because of that. Um, I would have, I would have wanted to strive for a better work-life balance, but you know, the culture was different back then. It, it was, it was kind of expected that, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a generational thing. It was kind of expected that as a startup, we would be working extremely long hours and weekends. And that was the norm. Um, it was not normal back then to, you know, think about, you know, well-being and, and you know, mental well-being and things like that, mental wellness and things like that. And, you know, stress was very normal and it was part of the part of the process. Um, I, I would have strived to, I think, get a better work-life balance. I just I don't know how we would have done it. <laughs> oh, fair question. Yeah, no, I, I just want to pick your brain on that. Um, I guess along the way as well, like how did family and friends kind of support you throughout the journey or like the day you know especially you you know you're one credit short like you said still at U of T uh, you know you missed out a lot on kind of maybe it seemed like things socially so like how did your friends and family support or kind of you know join you for this journey like how did that play out well I always had a large group of friends um, especially when I moved downtown I feel like you know when I first started work, that wasn't the case until I moved downtown. But once I moved downtown, I had a very large circle of friends. And I think it's like that for a lot of people. I became extremely social on weekends, but it was more of, it was more of like a, like a, you know, de-stressor than anything else. You know, I worked and work long hours during the week. And then on the weekends I would go out for, you know, for social events and drinks and kind of unwind. Um, so I always had support from my friends. Um, I always got a lot of you know, people would always joke about me always working and not being able to travel and things like that. So it, I think it's challenging for some people. I think unless you're in specifically in tech and specifically working in, you know, the startup space, you can easily look at it and say, well, why are you working so much? That's not, that's not normal, right? Like someone, someone that's not in that space, it could be odd for them to see something like that. 
So it didn't make for like a great, um, I didn't make for like a great partner, I would say, um, because I was constantly working and my mind was just always on work and I had major issues like letting go and detaching. Um, I, and, you know, my family was originally, they were very, I think this is typical of any Sri Lankan family. They're very strict. My dad was like, you know, he wanted to know. My dad was like still opening my mail and stuff. I remember thinking, <laughs> wow, this is uh, this is still happening. Um, but, you know, he, he meant well. I, I didn't I didn't think it was a bad thing. But I, at some point, I think there was I became aware that some threshold had crossed and they went from I mean, my parents, um, they went from kind of telling me what to do to asking me, you know, for my feedback and guidance. Uh, and that was a, that was a pretty big uh, milestone, I would say. Um, it was kind of like they trusted me to, you know, do my thing and be on my my journey. And and I, I like that. It was it was great. Like my mom, even now, she'll say, "Well, you were gone for 15 years. I don't know where you were. You weren't, you know, even though you were here physically, you weren't actually here. You were somewhere else." So now now I spend a lot of time. Like I'm living with my mom now, as you know. So I, I try to I have I try to have conversations with her just to kind of give her some of that time back and make that connection with her. You know, I, I ask her a lot about, you know, things back home, tell us about, you know, tell me about life back home and, and stuff like that. So she'll tell me a lot of stories, which, which I really enjoy. So usually before I go to bed, I'll go downstairs for a couple hours and just kind of kick it with my mom and see how, what, what she got up to for the day, who she talked to and what's going on back home. Um, you know, something funny happened. We, we have some folks living in our, we, we grew up on a farm back home, right? So my mom's like, yeah, we have like someone's living in the house. Um, they want to buy some goat. I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. So we, we sent them some money and they bought goat. So I actually have some goat back home, which, which I, I, is just, <laughs> just the funniest thing to me. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so you spoke about the relationship with your parents. Do you have siblings? And like, how, how are you, how's your like relationship with them? Did you know that every time you left a five out of five review for this podcast, a Tamil parent lets their child pursue a career in the creative arts? Okay, that's probably not true, but if there's a chance that it is, do you really want to jinx it? Leave a review. Do it for the young creative in you. Yeah, so I'm the eldest of three. My sister's the middle and my brother's the youngest. Um, I think I, we weren't always close. You know, growing up, we definitely were not close. I think all three of us were pretty rebellious, uh, you know, from an early age. And I think that's, I don't know if that's a cultural thing. Maybe it's a Sri Lankan thing. Maybe it's an age thing. I don't know. Um, but I think as we became adults, uh, some of that, you know, tatered off, catered off. And um, I, I remember thinking, I don't know, I don't know my brother and my sister. And, and you know, that's something that we should probably res resolve at some point. So I started talking to them both. I started taking my brother out because I, I had a pretty active social life at the time. I was going out a lot and had a lot of friends downtown and he was completely introverted. I, I like he was really just he wanted to be alone and he wanted to hang out in his room. And I, I have to say, after I took him out, he completely changed. You know, he, he started dressing differently. He started working out. He started, he became more social than I was. Um, and, you know, he ended up meeting a lot of people. So yeah, so we're, we're still, we're still pretty close. My sister, I would, you know, my sister, I'm still very close with as well. She was, uh, you know, most of my big decisions I, I discussed with my sister, you know, we're very close. We talk about everything. Um, we used to actually do brunch, the three of us, every weekend we would do brunch on Saturdays, but that was prior to COVID, right? Um, so since COVID, we haven't been really be able to, been able to do that, but uh, we just started, me and my sister, we started doing brunch 
here in Mississauga for the past couple of weeks since things have opened up. So that's been nice. Yeah, I think it's a cycle. I think you go through stages of like being close, especially with siblings, like being close and then some kind of separation. And then especially as you get older and like, you know, just I think people's social circles get smaller and tighter. You know, everyone starts to come back to family usually. That's what I've seen as well. So makes sense. Um, in terms of your personal legacy, in a few sentences, like how would you want to be described by or remembered by your friends and family? Um, wow, that's a deep question. I, I think, you know, I really want to make a dent in something with tech. And I, I feel like we did that with ad tech. I, you know, the, the products that we built, the, the pace that we iterated at and innovated at, it forced big companies like Google to react and make changes to their platform. That to, that to me is very rewarding. I, I feel like, you know, having been part of the group that helped steer that and rolled that out, that was, that was very big and monumental for me. I, I think now uh, I'm very focused on, you know, what are some other areas that I could, I could do this with, but I also wanna, I also wanna have some, some measure of giving back that's something I never used to think about or, you know, it was never top of mind for me before, but it is now um, these days. I, I, you know, I do little things like I, you know, I donate, I donate to a bunch of places and I, I, you know, if I see people on the street, I, I always give them money. So small things like that. I, I, I generally feel like I want it to be something that I do, but I don't really realize it's like a, it's like a nice, like it had a really good impact on the person. And I never find out. I just want them to, have like a, like a change of mood that day and it you know it changes the way they feel um something like that that's awesome i like that um how do you out of curiosity like how do you consume or learn new information do you read is it podcasts is it youtube videos like how do you yeah i'm a big um i'm a big person i'm a big fan of just constantly learning new stuff uh i watch a lot of videos um youtube of course is one of my favorite uh, video uh, sites. I mean, it's funny to think YouTube started as a dating site. Uh -huh. um, I, I I started reading, I started uh, listening to podcasts and uh, rather, and I just, I read a lot. Um, you know, I'll read like Morning Brew, The Peak, um, Business Insider, um, you know, a lot, a lot of things, basically any anything you want to learn about is on the web now, you know, it's the information era. So there's just a lot of things that, that still need to be learned. And so yeah, a lot of, a lot of my time goes into reading and, and watching videos and consuming podcasts. And what's uh, like a podcast that you made that you would highly recommend to somebody that's made an impact to on you? Well, this is unrelated to work or anything professional I'm doing, but uh, I've been listening to uh, Hotboxing with Mike Tyson. Uh, I'm a big fan of Tyson, and and you know I just think he's a, an incredible human being uh, for many reasons. I'm happy to elaborate uh, if if you want, but uh, yeah, he's had some interesting interesting guests on the show. He's had Eminem. Um, that, that to me was, it was a trip. Cause I, I don't think Eminem does a lot of interviews from what I understand. And I thought that Tyson would be enamored by Eminem, but actually Eminem was more enamored with Tyson. Um, so that was kind of interesting to watch. And, and he's had, you know, like Michael Buffer, the, the announcer and people like that. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Tyson. I, I, um, I always have been, you know, I remember watching boxing with my, with my dad and my family when he was fighting Holyfield um, but it was when I became older, I became more interested in him as a person because, you know, to have a name like Iron Mike Tyson and to have, you know, have that that name and legend 
but still at the same time be so vulnerable. Like you've seen videos with this guy where he talks about custom auto and he talks about, I think it was um, somebody asked him on his podcast. Somebody said like, what do you, what do you think about when you, when you're going into the ring? Do you think about like destroying the person? Like, how do you feel? He said, Oh no, I feel scared. Like I'm terrified. That to me is, is very human. It's, it's just such a real answer. He didn't try to, you know, change it for media, change it for the show. He was very authentic about that. And you see it in the documentaries. You see his trainer, you know, patting him on the back saying, it's going to be okay. It's okay. You're going to do fine. And he's crying and he's freaking out because he thinks he's going to be made a fool of, even though the world sees him as this monumental epic fighter. And, you know, his name is Iron Mike Tyson. He, he doesn't think he's good enough. And he thinks he's going to lose to a bunch of people. And that, that, that to me is just an incredible, incredible he's, story. Yeah, he's very misunderstood. In that documentary, <clears throat> talks about a lot of the things that kind of impacted who he was and just people's perceptions of him. Like, you know, like there's a few things in your life that could, you know, unfortunately in this day and age kind of just um, leave a lasting effect on how people view you. But like you were saying, um, he's highly likable, like beyond kind of like, you know, the tough exterior and like all the crazy things he, he did. You know he had a bad childhood like he had he had to overcome a lot so i i definitely agree with you. he's misunderstood and uh, appearances aren't what they seem so that's great and i haven't heard of that uh that podcast so i might add it to my list um what's a new belief behavior habit that you recently kind of you know you know taken on that's improved your life this is a habit it's something i started maybe in like 2019 i started to realize that the mornings when i get up uh because I was checking my phone all the time, it kind of set the tone for the day, right? So if I got a, if I got up and I got a bunch of Slack messages and the Slack messages are about something that's gone down or some issue that's come up, it, it really set the tone for the day and I would carry it with me for the rest of the day. So now when I get up, I don't look at my phone for maybe like an hour. Uh, and then also at night, I don't look at my phone for like maybe two hours before I go to bed. And it, it, it actually, it actually does a, it has a big impact. Um, I feel like, especially in the morning, because your mind is, it's still, it's still trying to figure out, you know, how to start the day. Right. And you're kind of on, on auto mode. So I try to keep it very blank as much as possible, not too much noise. And I feel like, and I do the same with music, right? Like when I get up, I don't play any music. I used to do that before. I don't play any music in the car when I drive. Um, it's just so my mind is as still as possible for as long as it's possible. So I can just focus on problems and, and, um, and, and nothing else. And it's, it, I, to some degree, I do that with clothes as well. I, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of wear the same stuff. I have multiple, uh, I own mo multiple versions of the same thing and I just wear them um, just so I don't get like this decision physique. And I know that some other folks do that. And I used to think it was silly, but I, I, I totally get it now. <laughs> I do that with like food and like, I just have like, a routine and, like you said, just the less decisions you have to make, the more capacity you have to do other things. So I like that. Um, in terms of money, what's your relationship with money? Like, how do you view money? What's, you know, what, what kind of stuff are you investing in? Talk about that. Whatever you feel comfortable. Talking yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think these days I, I try not to be too frivolous uh, just because I, I was frivolous for, you know, many years in the past. You know, I, I used to be, I used to just spend a lot of, a lot of money on things like going out and eating out and clothes and stuff like that. So I, I, I try to be more, you know, more careful about that now. It just, just, I, I don't know why it's just, I woke up one day and I just felt like, you know, I, I, I shouldn't live like this. 
um, I, I generally, I generally try to be grateful for like, like when I'm, when I'm eating or buying something, you know, I try to take a moment to be like, you know, I'm in a position to be able to do this. Right. And that's nice. That's, that's nice to have. Um, so I try to think like that just to kind of feel that sense of gratitude. Cause I never used to have that before. And I felt like that was missing. Um, in terms of investments, uh, you know, I'm not like huge on the market. Um, I do have, I do have investment properties though. So your main way of investing right now is uh, real estate and then a little bit into the market as well. Yeah. I mean, like I don't have any NFTs or, you know, I have like very little crypto that was more for fun than anything else. Just so I can kind of understand how the crypto exchanges work. I mean, you know, Coinbase IPO'd um, and I have a friend that works there. So I was, I was curious about how these things work. Um, but a good friend of mine, he's a, a developer now and he used to run a very successful, he still runs a very successful brokerage. So he would, encouraged me to buy properties before because he would you know he would do it with a bunch of other folks in the group and I just got an affinity for it so you know over time I just I just got a liking for it and I, I just stuck with it so yeah I'm big on real estate not so much on the market I would say and you know how you said you had like even though you might have made good money you you know you spent a lot of money as well um, now that you kind of are better with your money uh, in your own words would you say that like you have is it, do you save for like specific goals or just, do you just save because, you know, you just want to be better with money and you want to have money set aside for the future or to buy real estate? Like what, what like tell us about that. Well, I, I think before when I was, it was really frivolous and I, I really wanted to move away from that because it just became something I didn't want to do anymore. Um, you know, I would just get up and decide like, Hey, I want to buy a bunch of stuff. I want to buy you know, like a bunch of new clothes and, and redo my completely, completely redo my wardrobe and stuff like that. Now it's, it's, it's not so much that I have a plan to do something. It's really just about like minimizing the, you know, minimizing regret in some ways, you know, like I don't want to have buyer's remorse. I don't want to buy a bunch of stuff that I don't necessarily need and, you know, have it. I, I actually realized that like a lot of the clothes I have, I don't even wear. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of the things like the possessions that I own, I don't even use or, or make use of and to some degree the things I own own me um, that was another that was another phenomenon you know it's like you you have a nice watch you go out and you start thinking man what if I what if I scratch my watch right it, and then it just kind of consumes you and at some point I was like ah this is this is too much um, so yeah it was I kind of took a step back and I'm you know I, I try not to spend frivolously anymore I, I try to save more now. And, you know, if that means it goes towards another property or, or something like that, that's great. But just, I wouldn't say there's like a, there's not like a major strategy behind that. Got it. Money can be hard to come by, but here's a hundred dollar opportunity for you. Join my free newsletter for free exclusive content and a free chance to win a hundred dollars when I hold special draws. Did I mention that it's free? Um, and what's a piece of advice that you would give to, you know, your fellow Tamil creators out there? So just for transparency, I, uh, I don't know a lot of Tamil people, just so I don't know what I could say to them, to be honest with you. I don't have, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I have a lot of Tamil friends. I have a lot of Sinhalese friends. Um, but like general advice I would give to people is I would, I would say, you know, find something you enjoy and, and try to do it for a living. Um, you know, I, I wish I could say that I had this great vision that I would be going into computers and would become a good developer and would, you know, be a part of this big company. It all, it was all fluke. Like it was all just chance. My parents did say though, that 
I had a great affinity for computers at a very early age and I was very interested and I was constantly playing on it and learning on it. So that was kind of nice. So I enjoyed it. It was more of like, I, I just liked it versus work. And to some degree, it's like that now. I feel like a lot of what I do is fun and not necessarily work. Um, but I, But beyond that, I would say, try to be present because you'll only have those moments once. Um, and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to miss out on big things in your life, right? Like I remember my brother getting married. I was, I was there for the wedding, but like I could have been more present, right? I remember, you know, things happening with my parents, you know, family events and major birthdays and things like that. I was there for all of it, but really I was, my mind was elsewhere. I was focused on some problem or something else that I'd have to work on. And, it, you know, it's not, I didn't make the most of that time and I'll never get that time back. So I would definitely say, be present, enjoy the moment, and um, everything should work out. Cool. Well, this is a good segue into the final segment of the podcast called Creator Confessions. Uh, it's a game where you're going to basically say a bunch of statements. You're going to give me a quick answer to kind of uh, those statements. You ready, Marin? I'm ready. Awesome. Favorite Tamil food? Kothruti. Uh, Something that scares you. I'm a, I can't swim, so I'm, a, I'm afraid of like bodies of water. I never, I never learned to swim, so I, I have a fear of that I'm going to drown. What's an insecurity that you have? Uh, I kind of get, I get like bouts of imposter syndrome from time to times. Uh, I think it's partially because I'm like my background is not in finance or not in like venture capital or investment banking or anything like that. It's weird though because sometimes I get it, but the other times I'm like. I, I feel really confident. It's like two, two opposite uh, extremes. Uh, favorite show that you're watching? I, I watch a lot of old shows. I tend to rewatch old shows like Friends and, you know, Seinfeld and things like that. But I'm more of a, I'm more of a movie guy than anything else. I, I tend to watch more movies than shows because I feel like you have a fixed amount of time. You know, you know the show, you know the movie's going to be over in an hour and a half. That's, that's a big commitment already. Whereas a show, it goes on for like seasons on seasons. So yeah, I like movies. Um, that's that's my thing. It's a big it's a big uh, relaxer for me. So, what's your favorite movie of all time? I don't know if you can. I don't know if I can just say you know one. I'll tell you about some of my favorites. I mean, I I'm a huge fan of uh, you know movies like Godfather. I just think you know they're they're very well acted. The music is great. The acting is great. The plot's amazing. There's like there's some obscure movies that I like as well that a lot of people don't know about. And in some ways those are even better because they're not, you know, they're not like mainstream movies. I was watching this movie with um, Kevin Costner the other day. It's called let him go. And I don't think it's like a well-known movie. And I was telling my sister about it and she kind of looked at it and she said, yeah, it looks okay. So I don't think she watched it, even though I was wanting her to watch it. But it's like, they do this thing where they build up tension really well. And I, and I like that because it makes you, you know, any movie that makes you feel those kinds of emotions on a large scale, it's to me, it's like a big win because that's hard to do because it's hard to detach, right? It's hard to like escape. Um, and the movie's about, uh, he loses, like his family, him and his wife lose their grandson and, and they're taken away and you know, they're going looking for him. But they have these brilliant moments of tension that build up. So it's like the scenes, the music and everything just builds up to it to a point where you're just like, oh man, like your, your heart's beating so fast. A great example of this is um, Denis, Denis Villeneuve's uh, Sicario. Oh, Sicario was great. Yeah, great yeah I don't know if you remember the border scene, but like where yeah. they're transporting the person back from the border and... Yeah. You can tell like 10 minutes in something major is going to go down and everything from 
you know, the drums to the music, the dog barking and the way the camera pans from person to person to the dialogue. And I love the end where the guy goes, you know, this is going to be all over the newspapers. And the guy's like, no, it's not. This is not even going to be, people aren't even going to talk about it here. It was like such a, because the violence is so common there, right? And another movie that's like that, that is less well-known, I think, is uh, Dead Man's Shoes. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's it's like this guy's this guy's brother gets murdered and he comes back and he's looking for revenge and and he's, you know, he's enacting revenge on these folks. But the nice, what I like about it is that the acting is done in such a way where they build up this tension. So it goes from, it goes from, you know, like zero to 180 and just like, you're like, whoa, what happened here? It's kind of like in, um, there's this, there's this, uh, it's not Goodfellas, but um, it's, there's another mom movie where these bikers are, are in a bar and they're making a big ruckus. And the guy says, you know, you got to leave. And then the guys, and then the bikers are like, well, what's the big deal? We just want to drink. So he lets them have the one drink, but they, they make a big move. They make a big stink. Right. And they're, and they're breaking the place up. Um, and then he, and then the bar owner closes the door and he says, well, now you can't. Oh, leave. that's, it's not a movie. I think it's, um, uh, it's, it's a TV show. No, it's I, a movie. It's with Robert sure? De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's Robert I, De Niro. It it's, sounds like uh, a scene from uh, Sopranos. But it was it was just that that 180, you know, it was it was uh, such a, an awesome switch. Um, but yeah, stuff like that I really enjoy. So yeah, movies are my thing. Uh, a place you're itching to travel to after this pandemic is over. I haven't traveled a lot, so I I, I mean, there's lots of places I want to go. Um, my brother yeah. was has been to Italy. He went to Italy for his honeymoon, and I, I would definitely want to go to Italy, but for different reasons. I'm a big car guy. I'm a big car enthusiast, and I know that Ferrari and Lamborghini both have factories there so I, i'd love to go and visit the factories and get like a behind the scenes look and be able to meet some of the folks and the, and the factory workers that that would be like massive for me um in terms of satisfaction um, but also I, I had never been to any of the apac countries so i've never been to like china or hong kong or japan any that whole area I, i've never even you know come close to and i would love to go there i i just i just feel like it's, it's a totally different way of life and I'm curious about the culture. I would love to go and see what it's like to have a couple of nights there. Yeah, Japan is amazing. Been to Hong Kong as well. Yeah, it's definitely different different than here. And they're like 10, 15 years ahead of us. Um, fellow Tamil creator that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, well, again, because I don't know a lot of Tamil people. I uh, You know what? Actually, I, 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 I'll give a shout out to my parents um, because I, I think that that's appropriate. Uh, in particular, I, I, in particular, I would say my mom, I, you know, not, not to, not to say anything bad about my dad. My dad already knew English when we came to this country because he had lived abroad and, you know, he was very comfortable doing things like that. But I think for my mom, it, it must've been, I mean, we talk about it now. It was a very jarring change, right? Like she's come to this new country. She can't speak the language. And, you know, it, she says it's a loss of freedom for her. She, she was not able to really be who she was and she can't operate the way she was back home. Um, and I think about that a lot. I think about they never got to live the, you know, the Canadian life, right? Like the Canadian life that people dream about. I'm living that Canadian dream because of the sacrifices that they made to bring us here and you know, educate us and, you know, give us this work ethic. Um, so in some ways, I just feel like they basically lived for their children. And, you know, that was their sole purpose to give us a better life. But it makes me sad that they weren't able to have some of those experiences as well. Um, so I definitely want to recognize and, and give them a shout out for that, uh, especially my mom, because, you know, it was been it's been it was much harder on her, I would say, than my, than my dad in some ways. Your favorite childhood memory. 
You know, in 2019 or so, I started to remember that I liked Christmas. Um, when I came, I was, when I came to this country, I was uh, in grade four. I don't know what age, it was maybe like, you know, age 10, nine or 10, something like that. And it was such a surreal thing for me because I'd never seen anything like it before. You know, the, the singing, the choir, the whole, you know, the trees being decorated, everything's, everything's looking a certain way, everyone's in a certain mood. And it's like that for, I would say, you know, a good chunk of December. I never experienced anything like that before. It was just such a pleasant, positive memory to me. And I forgot about it for so long. Um, but yeah, that was one of like my first couple of Christmases here in Canada, I, I think were, I mean, you know, the weather was terrible, but the, you know, especially coming from like a, like a tropical place like Sri Lanka, but the, uh, the Christmas um, environment was it, it left a, it left a pretty big impact on me it was very it was very soothing it was very comforting and I I, I, I love Christmas um, even now I, I try to I try to really unplug during that time and get into the into the spirit what do you like to do for fun outside of work well I watch a lot of movies um, you know I, I I like to watch you know over the weekend I'll, I'll have to watch at least a few movies and you know I like to watch movies and then I have to talk about it. So I need someone that I can, I can, I can have a conversation with, which is nice. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm not super active now. I was before COVID hit, I was pretty active. I was at the gym five days a week. I was taking kickboxing all of, and I was eating well, all of that was gone now. Um, I basically reverted to how I was living in high school. So I'm eating like a lot of cereal, I'm eating a lot of candy, a lot of chocolate, things that I forgot that I did, you know, as when I was much younger, I'm now reliving because I'm at the house. So I'm eating like, you know, when I was one day when I was uh, in grade five, I had forgotten my lunch. Right. And my, um, and my, and I told my teacher and my teacher gave me a Joe Louis. So that was my <laughs> first time having a Joe Louis. So that was my, that was my lunch for the day. And then my father brought me Subway later, which I couldn't eat. Actually, my first day in Canada, when I came, my, 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 my father got us McDonald's, which I could not eat because it was so, it was so foreign to us that we were like, we can never eat this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had a Subway. I couldn't eat that as well. But like, I, I became very fond of Joe Louis, although I never ate it as, as a teenager because I was just against like chocolate and sugar and all that stuff. So I never did a lot of that stuff then. Um, like I stopped for a while. And then now, now that I'm back at the house, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start, I'm going to just eat whatever. So I've started eating cornflakes. I started eating candy, chocolate. Um, what are those cakes? Those McCain deep and delicious cakes. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my life now. <laughs> Got it. Um, what's a purchase that you've made recently that, you know, the last couple of years you've splurged on that you have no regret about? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, I got a, I got an SUV and my mom really likes it because these days it's all about what's comfortable, what's comfortable for my mom. Like that's, that's kind of how my, how I cater my days. And, uh, and I have no regrets about the SUV. She loves it. She feels like it's like, she's like, she said, it's like, this is what first class must be like. Um, and she's very happy with it. And that's something that, you know, it was, it was expensive, it was costly, but I don't regret it because she loves it so much. Um, so I, I would, I would do that again. Pet peeve of yours. I don't, I don't like when people don't signal when they turn it. Uh, I feel like that's a big problem and, you know, it, it, it holds things up. <laughs> it could be much more efficient if people actually did those things. And safer too. Yeah. Um, if you knew that you're going to die tomorrow, I regret that you would have. 
I'd have, I'd have a bunch of regrets. I think um, I would have wanted more time with my family. I think, you know, I would have wanted more time with my dad and my mom and just to get to know them better. Uh, we talked about this before, but I, you know, we never got it. I never got a chance to see, you know, I never got a chance to know my parents as a, not, not, not equals, but like friends. Right. Um, because it's, they're, they're usually, usually with Sri Lankan parents are very strict and they just kind of tell you what to do. And, and, you know, I never, I never got that close friendship with them. And that's something that I would have wanted to have. A celebrity whose life you want to experience for one day. I don't know if he counts as a celebrity. I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by people like Musk and, and Jeff Bezos. Musk these days a little bit more so because he's got, he just has his hands in a lot of places, right? Like he's got, he's got Tesla. They just released the robots. I don't know if you saw the, the announcement. I think he said something like, you know, we're making it so that it's not too dangerous. You'll be able to outrun it. And it's not going to be, it's not going to, you're going to be, you're going to be able to overpower it if you need to. <laughs> which I thought was kind of, which I thought was kind of funny, but he's got, so he's got the, he's got Tesla. He's got the cars. He's got the robots. They even made the flamethrowers. Um, then he's got the Neuralink company. He's got the boring company. He's got, uh, what is it? SpaceX, the, uh, yeah. the space company. I, I don't know how I'm just, I'm curious from like a mental capacity standpoint and efficiency standpoint how he delegates work and how he deals with emails and how he manages time i think that's interesting um i'm also curious about how people like obama you know what what their day would have been like just because they're dealing with you know international um governments and and people that are very high up in governments and i'd be curious how they have to how do they change gears right like how do you go from meeting to meeting and change gears internally to be able to go from say like a hostile meeting to like meeting a group of kids i, I you know i think that's interesting Love it. And finally, uh, just kind of a general public service announcement, just any final thoughts you want to leave our audience with before we kind of end off the podcast? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty big on like respect your elders. So, you know, if I see somebody, I go for walks a lot. So normally if I'm walking and I see someone that's like an old, like an older elderly person, I, I try to always say hello and, you know, just nod my head or something. I just feel like I feel like they're, you know, they should be given a lot of respect. They've, they've, you know, they've done so much and they've gone through so much. Um, and I hate seeing when elders are disrespected. You know, there's videos, a lot of videos that, that go around that, that capture that. So yeah, try to, try to just give back and say hello. Love it. Well, Myron, thank you for jumping on the podcast. Um, you know, for people listening that were kind of inspired by our story, you know, some fellow engineers out there that are tech companies are just you know, they're touched by your story. Uh, what's the best way for them to uh, connect with you? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram under myren.y, so M-Y-R-E-N.Y, or you can reach me at uh, LinkedIn. If you look under Index Exchange, um, you can reach me through there, or you can go to indexexchange.com. I'm under the leadership page there, and you can send an email there as well. Awesome. Well, appreciate you kind of jumping on the podcast, and for the audience listening, Appreciate you guys as always. Look forward to the next episode. All right. Thanks so much, Sarah. See you, see you next time.